It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and this show are now available on iTunes and Stitcher. So please subscribe and help rate us and that helps others find the show. My name is Kay Winnigal and I'm joined today by my co-host Nat Bucknall. Hello everyone. Phillip Island in Victoria has always had active groups focusing on a variety of environmental issues, but in the last year they've really started to kick goals when they combine forces to form Totally Renewable Phillip Island, or Trippy, as it's known by the locals. To talk about the success of the Totally Renewable Phillip Island, or Trippy, we have Dr Moreg Mackay, Chair of the Energy Innovation Cooperative, and Bhavani Rooks from Phillip Island Landcare. Hi Moreg and Bhavani. Hi Kay, hi Nat. Hi. Thanks Thanks so much for joining us us in the studio today. Yeah, it's wonderful that you've made the trip down here. Yeah, well thanks for inviting us It's it's, um, it's a great privilege to be here. Firstly, can you tell us about the Totally Renewable Phillip Island or Trippy and how it got started? Sure. Um, So, uh, this is Morag speaking. (laughs) I I was at the Sustainable Living Festival which um, is hosted by both the Bass Coast Council and the South Gippsland Council. Um, every couple of years, they um, they alternate having a festival, and bringing together lots of people that are that are interested in sustainability and, and renewable future. And uh, began talking to uh, one of the representatives from the Phillip Island Boomerang Bags group, uh, Kylie McMurray, just about all the different towns around Victoria and around the world that are going totally renewable, and looking at their emissions profiles and just um, taking community action, basically. And I just asked her if she thought that um, Phillip Island might be a community that would be ready for this and she got terribly excited and um, her, her abundant enthusiasm encouraged me to then go and talk to a few more people on Phillip Island and we got together with a, a group of, of groups, so Phillip Island Landcare, the Conservation Society and um, uh, the Community Centre, who else was involved, Bhavani? There's um, there's quite a number of, of individuals as well and about, about a group of 20 there's people. There's a waste um, uh, group as well, is there? Oh, well, that was the, that's the community centre. They're focused oh, okay. on, on waste management and um, food waste in particular. But um, anyway, we got we got together as a as a group of groups and, and talked about the, the possibility and, it, and it's all sort of flourished from there. Mm, fantastic. So your goal is for Phillip Island to be carbon neutral community by 2030 using collective efforts to use clean and efficient energy, reduce pollution and to offset carbon emissions. How did you assemble that goal? (laughs) Uh, So 2030 is the tipping point for um, being able to reverse climate change. So um, when the collective got together and began talking 
we decided to go with that, what the science had shown, and then um, decided from the group that we needed to get community involvement. So from that point, we had a uh, public meeting to get community involvement to see if they would agree. And they did. Mm-hmm. We had um, we ended up holding a public meeting uh, that had about 160 people turn up on the day. And we also live streamed it on Facebook and had over 350 views um, oh. on Facebook Live. And the so so us the the initiating groups um, of the twenty of us that got together um, to begin with created a draft um, sort of motion and um, and it was interesting because there was it's a sort of a double it's a hundred percent renewable and zero net emissions in in the, mm. the mission statement or the vision mm. and um, there was a bit of debate about what zero net emissions actually means or carbon yes. neutral and so it was it was really healthy like there was some people there that were a bit confused by um, why would you have both? What does it all mean? So it was a very healthy discussion amongst 150 people in the room and um, Ultimately, the, the the motion was passed that that we um, stick to that goal, and and um, that's what we've been working towards over the last twelve months. And and what, and what did you define carbon neutral as for that goal? What does it consist of for Trippy? Zero net emissions. Yeah, net emissions. yeah, yeah. So um, reducing, minimising as much as possible, and then uh, sequestering carbon in in some ways to to create the balance of of so to achieve a zero net result it's an amazing energy that your community seems to have when i was there it just seems like everybody's come on board very quickly yeah it's it's phenomenal it's quite a wave to be riding right now (laughs) fantastic to have that many people engaged in the process what's the population of phillip island Uh, it's about eleven thousand two hundred or thereabouts um, as a permanent population, and then that swells obviously to um, to close to forty thousand during peak holiday periods. Mm. So yeah, that's a really high proportion of engagement. Yeah, yeah. Look, we're pretty happy with it, but I, you know, look, I think people are just well and truly ready for mm. for action to be taken, and um, unfortunately, we're not seeing um, strong leadership uh, where where we would expect to see it. So um, I think communities are just ready to take things into their own hands. I think the excitement of the day that you saw, Kay, uh, showed that the community was really ready for it and the mm. response. Just to explain, that. I was there for the Phillip Island Open Day a few weeks ago and um, I think that's exactly what I sensed, that people are ready for it. They're absolutely embracing it and it felt really good being there. Mm, that Open Day was in response of a, a year after the public meeting. We were getting back to the community to show that um, what had been done and what we had achieved and where more questions were coming from. Yeah, that we could answer. Yeah, yeah. And you have an, a renewable energy roadmap. Can you tell us what that consists of? Um, well, the renewable energy roadmap actually um, is being done for the Bass Coast and South Gippsland Shire areas. It's a it's a state government um, sponsored planning process. There's renewable energy roadmaps for each of the regions um, being completed around Victoria. So there's one um, one already being completed for the Hume region, and then there's um, others going on in the Lord and Mallee, the Grampians, the Barwon Southwest and the Bass Coast and South Gippsland regions at the moment. So um, I just need to correct the record too. I'm no longer chair of the Energy Innovation Co-op. I've handed that over recently to the wonderful Peter Wonfer. But um, I'm, I was working on that roadmap project. And um, it's, to, it's to engage widely with community, business and government um, and the education sector about 
what the vision for renewable energy is for, for that region and for each of the regions in Victoria. And um, we've been uh, going out, running community workshops, interviewing people in the, each of those sectors, as well as um, talking with large energy users, so big companies like the milk companies and, and um uh, the quarries and other uh, organi- uh, businesses in the region just to talk about, you know, what do they see the renewable energy future looking like? Where do they want to see renewable energy? What what type, what size, you know, um, what's people appetite for? Any more large wind farms or smaller wind farms? Those sorts of things so that um, we can put together a bit of a, uh, you know, somewhat unified vision for the region so, so that as we transition to re- more renewables coming into the landscape, that it's it's done um, in a conducive way, uh, essentially. So we're trying to minimise community angst about um, inappropriate siting. We're also trying to build people's awareness about what the benefits are, how they might be able to share in those benefits by you know co-investing or co-owning or you know talking about coming together as Phillip Island has to to make their own decisions about where to put renewables. Uh, so yes, yeah, trying to be an inclusive process and a, and a strategy that's not only a a state government strategy but a community-owned strategy as well. And are state government and network operators part of that discussion as well? Yes, definitely. There's representatives of state government, um, uh, local government as well on on the um, project uh, control group and um, it's very cognisant of all the other work that's being done by the state government in, in lots of areas at the moment. It's a, it's a very, very busy space, so trying to keep across all of the different work studies and, and um, strategies that are being developed currently is, is a job in itself. So the state government's very proactive, you're saying, in so many areas, are they? Oh, incredibly, yeah. yeah. The energy department um, of the Victorian state government is, is hugely busy and all sorts of, of very interesting um, research and development work going on. Great to hear. Mm. <laughs> So um, we, a couple of years ago, I think, interviewed um, people from Yakandanda talking about their, their model for solar and battery mini-grid initiatives. And I noticed that you're talking to, or you, you have had discussions with those people yourself. Are you working on a similar model to that of the Yakandanda model? Um, oh, look, it's, it's similar in some ways. We, uh, Matt Charles-Jones uh, from uh, totally Renewable Yak came to the original public meeting and um, was a great source of inspiration for, for our community to hear. So we had Taryn Lane um, from Hepburn yeah, and, yeah. and Matt were the two keynote speakers at that original public meeting because we wanted uh, the community to hear about other local communities that are already well down this track and, and are showing, showing the way, showing what's possible. Um, so... Definitely we're learning from, from both of those um, two examples as well as uh, Renewable Newstead and, and other towns and organisations around the country and around the world. But um, I think we're a little more unique because uh, Phillip Island is a much larger uh, locality in terms of combinations of small towns and villages and, and farms. And um, so, so Phillip Island, what is it, about 20 kilometres long by... 25 kilometres long by about 10 kilometres wide. Yeah. yeah, about that. And it has a quarry, did you uh, say? Well, it did, it did have a quarry. The quarry now, um, actually, interestingly, processes recycled concrete, oh, um, wow. which is fantastic. So they've gone from an, um, an emissions em- em- emitter to a, um, an emissions um, reducer or avoider. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that was an exciting eventuation. 
Um, but it's, but it's, look, we've we started working with Osnet Services very early on, um, in, engaged them and brought them in um, because we knew we were going to have to try and plan how this transition to renewable energy because it is a complex space um, on Phillip Island with with lots of um, local voltage low, low voltage lines, um, twenty two oh, sixty six kV yeah. lines. Like like the mix is is interesting. We've had meetings with Osnet where. It's just been about building energy literacy and and then starting to work from a from a higher level of energy literacy so that more people can be involved in the planning, and um and Osnet have been absolutely um a hundred percent on board with with working with us on this, and then trying to now determine what the mix of of renewables um, needs to be in a combination of household solar, small business solar, and some larger installations. Mm, okay, that's um. It is tricky, isn't it? Because the grid is being stressed all over the Australia at the moment um, because of the, the the locations where we have renewable energy installed and the fact that no one's paid attention to that. Is that something that can be addressed locally or is that a... Absolutely. And it's just about planning. So, so you know, the last thing we want to do is just go down the road of, of um, putting in renewables where, wherever... Um, they sort of end up, you know, with without any sort of strategic understanding of the impact on the grid and and who gets to participate. You know, we're we're big on trying to create opportunities for um, low income earners and renters to be able to access potentially through the sort of the solar gardens type model, um, community owned solar essentially. But there's also Phillip Island Nature Parks and Western Port Water, two reasonably large energy users on the island, who have got their own plans. Um, to install more renewables and um, uh, Trippy's starting to work with them as well to, to see where they might be able to co-locate and, and potentially co-own um, some new facilities. So, so those discussions are underway as well, as, as well as with the, the council. The Bass Coast Council's been very, very supportive. So that, that leads on very nicely to a question about Bass Coast Council. So apparently they've recently declared a climate emergency. How did that come about? Uh, yeah, that was quite exciting. The Bas- and congratulations for that. Yes, <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, Bass Coast Can um, started a petition. Uh, so Bass Coast Climate Action Network Group started a petition and got over a 1,000 signatures, uh, which they gave into council. And they lobbied their local councillors, um, and then they also at the they went to a community connection where they had some of the voice of the youth. So one of them, being my daughter, spoke directly to the councillors, um, and another uh, uh, student as well. And then uh, at the council meeting where that was coming up, they we had a big presence there to um, support the motion, which they did then declare and then the second council meeting which there was a councillor who was trying to uh, reverse the decision uh, so we had another big presence at that council meeting to uh, cause the non-reversal so it's still it's <laughs> There's still always one person yeah, it? <laughs> it's still it's still declared as of today that oh well done yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because it was and a bit touch and go there wasn't it it, it was and it still is because that one councillor is still trying to um, uh, rescind it Okay, so was there a lot of sympathy for the the idea from the start? I I believe so. Yes, I, we ha- did have a big presence with councillors um, wanting it. Uh, councillors unsure, and then so really in the end, it was uh, I think uh, all count all councillors voted in favour, but two chose not to vote at all. So. Now I know it's really early days, but it's one thing to declare a climate emergency, but wh- how do you implement that? A plan for that. 
Well, I, I think that's very much what um, what Trippy's doing in, in leading the way. So um, when I was chair of the Energy Innovation Co-op, um, I worked with one of the councillors who put up an, an initial motion last year to support a community-wide emissions um, target. So previously the council had a, a council business um, emissions reduction target. Um, but um, then Councillor uh, Whelan was was um, put up a motion, and that involved uh, working directly with the Energy Co-op and Totally Renewable Phillip Island to demonstrate what's possible in terms of of working with community and, and enabling community to take the lead, essentially on on how to account for their emissions and then make make um, informed decisions and plans about how to reduce them. So um, there's a lot of effort going in at the moment to to maturing the Phillip Island, the totally renewable Phillip Island model, and then we'll work out how to transfer that model um, into other communities. Obviously, there's there's now a lot of communities around the Shire that's paying attention and, and looking at what's happening on Phillip Island and, and wanting to start thinking about how they might initiate things in their own areas. As soon as so one starts, it just seems Yeah, it's to... very exciting. Well, you, well Yak and Dander and, and Hepburn, well, they, they were our role models and um, for Phillip Island and once that got going, now there's a local example, and and I really think that that's that's simply the leadership that people want to see in local communities is that someone can just show the way and demonstrate that it's actually not that difficult. It's 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 a lot of work, and um, mm. and there's you know need for research and resourcing and all those sorts of things. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not that hard either. So yeah, totally achievable. Yeah. <laughs> So one of the projects you're looking at as part of that is your carbon accounting. So how, how do you work out where your emissions are coming from? Uh, so we, um, we had a working group. I was on this working group with um, four other people and we looked at uh, several other examples of where communities had gone and uh, accounted for their emissions. So Byron Bay was one of them. We, we've um, spoken with people at ClimateWorks and, and at BZE and we were also fortunate enough that uh, at the time um, Bass Coast Council had started working with 20 other councils around Victoria with Ironbark and BZE on a community-wide emissions profile. So we we simply just picked up what other people have been doing. So there's the, the Global Protocol for Community-Based Emissions. We've, we've used that approach and um, we've looked at the Ironbark community-wide one for Bass Coast, and then we've just drawn that down and um, gone to, you know, gone to the ABS and other places to get the, the results, and just used the same emissions factors um, for calculating. The one thing we have done differently is um, we've included the farm emissions, and and that's because a couple of farmers I worked with them about 15 years ago um, using the uh, agricultural greenhouse accounting framework that was developed with University of Melbourne and, and state government at the time and that's um, reasonably well researched and, and accurate accounting for emissions from farm the farm sector and so we have one farm that participated in that original program and we've been able to extrapolate the results from that farm across the farmland of, of uh, Phillip Island. And we'll get on to that a little bit later. Yeah. But um, if, for people that have just joined us, we're speaking to Dr. Morag Mackay and Bhavani Rooks from Totally Renewable Phillip Island. Now, we j- just mentioned before about the open day at Phillip Island, and I was there showing my electric car, but it was one of the most amazing and successful events I've ever been to. And I believe it was a first in Australia and perhaps the world, th- this carbon auction that um, you had there. 
Yes, it was very exciting. We had a carbon insetting auction, and we do believe it's the first in the world. So what is a carbon inset auction? What so, is insetting? So insetting compared to offsetting. Offsetting is you um, might pay some money for your admissions to be offset somewhere in the world, often offshore from Australia currently. Insetting is working either down a chain of supply or in a geographical region. So we're encouraging our local people to be able to inset their own emissions into their landscape that they drive past every day, being the farmers on Phillip Island. So it's a local? It's local. It's local supporting local, therefore local um, economy is boosted as well. And as I keep saying, you uh, feel good because you can drive past your farm that might not you might not own but you uh, have inset your carbon into the f- landscape there and can feel good about that what, what what about me i live in the suburbs i don't have very many farms to drive past no but you probably will have a relationship with some country area somewhere so you might come to phillip island and visit because you love that area and you could inset there but as we want to roll this out across uh to lo- a lot of local communities you might enjoy skiing so you might go up to the snowfields and um, if we get those communities going you'd be able to inset up there so go into your area that you like winery or cheese yeah winery cheese snowfields the surfing whatever takes your fancy eventually all those landscapes will be using insetting ideas to um, inset your emissions into the area you love so if my emissions are being inset what sort of actions are taking place to facilitate that insetting so you're trying to get soil health um, through either vegetation like planting of trees or using the plants to uh, diversity of planting a change of um, grazing management um, mulching uh, the ground so getting soil health improving soil health which um, photosynthesizing basically any plants that photosynthesize will take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere down through their root systems and using the microbes and store it as carbon in the soil. And what about the carbon auction itself? Tell us about that. Ah, that was a great success. So the first ever carbon auction. So we um, started with a in one the world. in the world. We do believe uh, we started wow. with a one ton auction. Our goal was um, $25 for the ton and, you know, with a hope of getting over 100 And as we reached up to 800 for that first ton, we were all shocked and surprised and wonderfully excited. And, and um, that, was, that was the first one. And I remember that myself. So you said it's $25 per ton of CO2 emitted and a car will generally cost four tons a year. So that's that correct. was where you were expecting and you got $800. Yes, so it was very exciting. And then we continued to auction packages to make it a bit more fun rather than just auctioning numbers. For example, the meat lovers package or the wood fire burner package or the big (laughs) lifestyle package, things like that. And we managed to auction uh, 220 tonne of uh, carbon, uh, CO2 rather, and um, raised on average $33 a tonne. Great. So what, where does that money go towards now? So that money is going directly to get more farmers on Phillip Island um, to do regenerative farming practices. So our goal will be over this next 12 months to get to five more farms doing these regenerative practices so that in 12 months' time when we can go online with a, uh, um, with an online brokering tool to um, therefore be able to inset whenever you wanted to. So say you visited Phillip Island and you saw that sign to say inset your uh, trip to Phillip Island, you could go online, inset your trip in the local landscape right there. And Morag touched on this just before about the farm Bimberdine. Yes, it? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so Bob and Ann Davey and the Davey family from Bimadine Farm have been um, practising regenerative agriculture for a long time. They're, they're quite the pioneers in our area and um, they were involved in land care when I first arrived on Phillip Island back in the late 90s um, doing these sorts of practices then. But it was about 2006 or thereabouts that they started uh, measuring their carbon and um, paying a lot more attention to it. So they've actually got benchmark figures from, from right back from 2006 to demonstrate how much carbon they've been able to build or, or create um, or add into their soils. And it's above that benchline mark as well as offsetting their own farm emissions um, that they are now able to, to trade above that. And um, they donated the carbon that um, was auctioned at the, the insetting auction that Bhavani just described. How do you actually measure carbon in the soil? So they use a, um, a, a metre-deep uh, soil coring system and they take random samples across the paddocks and then that goes... A metre-deep you measure Yes, too. a metre-deep. And then they're, they're measured at intervals, the carbon's measured at intervals, um, so um, down to um, you know the top 10 centimetres and then down to 30 centimetres and 60 and right down to the metre-deep. So they know what carbon is being built at each of those levels and those that measuring's been undertaken every couple of years since 2006. Well, that's impressive. Mm. Yes. And, and what actions have, have they been taking to improve the carbon in their soil? Uh, and been and do- why is it groundbreaking? What's, uh, they've what's been doing the- carbon crops, so <clears throat> they'd be... Uh, they first do a what's called deep rip, so basically like slicing um, the soil to get air down into it, but not turning it, not tilling it over. And then they'd plant uh, a pea crop, for example, and then mulch that in. So, and then another crop, next crop might be a legume or a root-based crop, like a radish, and they'll go deeper. So you're trying to get varying depths of roots in the plants to try and take the carbon deeper and deeper. So they have to keep changing the type of crop they're planting. Changing it and mulching it in, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I think we've only got about a minute or so. I was really interested in the blue carbon farming that the Phillip Island's doing. Can you tell us about that? Uh, It's it's not actually Phillip Island yet. There's uh, Western Port Seagrass Partnership is an organisation that works in Western Port as well and they've been looking at, um, well, they've been regenerating mangroves and seagrass for a very long time. They've got quite a bit of knowledge about how this works. That's what blue carbon... Yeah, so is. so blue carbon essentially storing carbon in, in um, marine soils or, or the marine environment. So it could be um, seaweed that settles on the on the seabed floor, but that, that has to be very deep so that it doesn't actually get released as carbon again. But, um, but yeah, the roots of mangroves and seagrass are very good at storing carbon and, and in fact, um, has been shown to be a lot higher than on terrestrial soils. So it's got a lot of, of um, potential, but um, still being explored. Fantastic. So quickly, um, where can people find out more about this? Totally Renewable Phillip Island have a, has a Facebook page and a website and also through the Energy Initiative Co-op website, there'll be a link. It's just called Energy Initiative Co-op. En- Energy Innovation. Energy oh, Innovation. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> yep. Great. Thanks so much for your time today, Moreg and Bhavani. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's been wonderful to have you in, in here. We've been speaking to Dr Moreg Mackay and Bhavani Rooks from Totally Renewable Phillip Island. The Beyond Zero show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank Beyond Zero Emissions and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of this show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, 
please go to the BZE website and click on the donate button. Thanks for listening and we look forward to you joining us again next week. Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.